You can make your way, if you will, tonight to Matthew, Matthew chapter 2. And uh, we have been looking at some passages of Scripture. And I told you, uh, as we look at the one we're going to look at tonight, that I had the final two in this series had something to do with the Christmas story. So I kind of arranged things to have these uh, near the end. So we're going to do that. But I just want to think about this, this thing of authenticity. Have you noticed how you hardly know what's real anymore, right? I was talking to someone the other day, and they had a new couch, and it looked like leather. And I said, is that, is that real leather? And they said, I don't know. And I couldn't tell either. So you, everything, can, everything can be manufactured to look like something else that you really don't know what is real. And then Burger King comes out with the Impossible Whopper. Have you seen this thing? I know you've seen it advertised. A few of you have told me that you've tried it. But it's, it's and I, I just kind of want to say, look up there on the sign. It says Burger King. I, I just, I don't, I, but anyway, it's, it's 100% not meat. But they tell you, and you, you'll you go down there to the Burger King and spend your three ninety nine or whatever it is, and you can judge for yourself whether it tastes like meat or not. But it's, it's not meat. So I just want to announce to you tonight, just in the spirit of, 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 the, the, of thoughts about how we can understand things. I'm going to announce to you an amazing process tonight whereby naturally grown plant-based material, this is amazing, is converted into to an edible product that tastes just like meat. Doesn't that sound interesting? And here's the, here's the mechanism whereby it happens right here. I hoped you'd laugh. I don't know. Uh, let's get the living proof. And one of the things that God does for us in the scriptures is shows us what is real. And what he tells us is real. And what he has declared in his word, as Jesus said to, in his prayer, he says, Lord, sanctify them. That's us. Sancti- make us pure. Make us holy. Make us different. Sanctify them through truth. Your word is truth. But not only do we have this book that we know is true, we've been looking at these living proof examples, and we got one to do tonight and one we'll do next week, and Lord willing, we'll be done with this study. But but how God inserts into the stories and the occasions and how he puts together things, those people to authenticate and to verify that this is true. This is not just some story that we hope is true. These are not just accounts that someone put into a a written form. These were written by people who witnessed things in real time, who documented it with documents that have been preserved and handed down through all these years. I mean, this is is authenticated as it can can be. And you remember our kind of our key verse that we've been looking at. It comes from Deuteronomy chapter 19, verse 15, where God says in a legal system... One witness shall not rise against a man concerning any iniquity or any sin that he commits. One witness, not sufficient. By the mouth of two or three witnesses, the matter shall be established. And what we're discovering and what I trust you have discovered is that God indeed lives by that same standard of of authenticating his truth. And I've just found it fascinating. In fact, as I've kind of dug into this, I probably had about eight that I wanted to share with you. Now this is 13, okay? And we've got 14 to go next week. So uh, it's, it's sort of opened up some, some new thoughts. So in chapter 2 of Matthew, we have a very familiar account. And it all revolves around some wise men, and particularly as we want to look at it, 
the sign of the star that God put in the sky, all right? And let me just read the account and uh, so we can hear it directly from the text, and then we're going to think our way through it. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men, wise men came from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people." Then Herod, when he, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the young child, and when you have found him, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him also. When they heard the king, they departed, and behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they, they rejoiced with exceeding Great joy. And when they came into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Then being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country another way. So you have wise men from the east that come. And it's all precipitated, as it says in verse 2, we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. The star shows up again after they left Herod, and it says they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. So it, it, it somehow turns on in their own country. They understand the significance of what it means, and then they go to Jerusalem. And by the way, they were not following a star all the way. Because if the star was leading them, the star led them to the wrong place, right? Because they showed up in Jerusalem and said, where is he that is born king of the Jews? Herod doesn't know anything about it, you know, the rest of the story. But it's only after they've left Herod does God give them this additional sign to lead them to a particular house in a particular village of Bethlehem, just south of Jerusalem. So let's talk about the star. And I, I'm going to cover, I've, I've actually, I've, I looked this up. I shared most, most of this passage and much of what I'm going to share here at the beginning back in 2015, and I'm not going to get into that level of detail because I want to get to the what it proves. I want to get to the authenticity. That's something that I've, I've looked at from a whole new light. But let's cover a few details just because uh, our curiosity, I think, is stirred when we come to this. So what was his star? And by the way, if you want to know what this star is called, I think the proper terminology is in verse 2. It, what's, what is it called? It's not the star of Bethlehem. It's not star of wonder, star of light, star of however that song goes. It is his star. It is the king's star, this one who's born to it. We could say it's Jesus' star because that's what it's all about. So it's his star. Well, one option is that, well, it's just, it's just a mythical event. Many people would tell you that today. Oh, that's just legend. I'm going to take that off of our list really quickly because we wouldn't be here if we believed that. But what you hear commonly this time of year is it's some sort of a natural event. It's a natural event. 
a few years ago down at the Clay Center at the, at the very nice planetarium that's down there. They have these star shows, and if you've ever been there or some of our students have been there, it's, 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 it's a wonderful facility, and it's a nice educational facility. But they did a show. I looked to see if they're doing it this year, and apparently they're not. But it was to explain what happened that the star of Bethlehem appeared, okay? And people have written, I have several, two or three books in my library, or at least I've had, I'm not sure I have all of them still, at least two I know I still have, that, that go to great lengths through astronomy and through history and the way things move in the heavens, and that sort of, to just explain this, how this happened. One is that they've discovered in, in Chinese records, and the Chinese back in the old days were very interested in the stars, but they recorded at that particular point, at that particular time, 4 B.C. was when it was recorded by our calendar, a great comet appeared in the sky. So everyone would say, well, there it is. That explains it. It was just happens by coincidence, circumstance. Other people say that it was a nova. A nova is a star that usually you can't see or is very dim, and suddenly it brightens. And sometimes that's a sign that that, that star is going through great change. But suddenly a bright star just appears. Another one is in 6 B.C., so around the same time, uh, it was, there was a conjunction, which means three stars, from our point of view, came close together, and that would have been Jupiter, Saturn, and Mars. All would have appeared in the sky very close together. However, you can just take everything anyone tries to explain, sorry, Clay Center and whoever else, because none of this works. None of it works. And it works, in, and I'll just be the most simple detail, none of it works because it tells us in the text... It says, when they, verse 10, now, when they saw the star, uh, they, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. And when, uh, excuse me, no, I'll go back a verse, I'm sorry. Verse 9, and when they'd heard the king, they departed. And behold, the star which they'd seen in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. No natural phenomenon works this way. If, if I, don't, I don't know if the sky is clear, it's been, it's been clear and it's been rainy and it's been clear and rainy, so I don't know what it is right now, but if the sky was clear and we went out and we looked, well, look at that bright star. It's standing over someone's house. We might see it that way. But so if you go down the street and around the block and however you get there, you get to that house, that house, that star is not standing directly over that house anymore, is it? It's now standing over someone else's house and someone else's house. And, and it, because it, it doesn't, there's no way a star in the sky of the typical sense can, can identify one geographic location on the planet. So just, just erase all that, okay? So what is it? Well, it's a supernatural event. It's a miracle. It's what God does. And I like just, you know, just take the simple explanation. It was his star. It works the way it works. You don't have to explain it. Because... Even if it were some natural phenomenon, the fact that they got the point, it was at the right place at the right time and so forth, that would, that would be amazing enough. But it is a supernatural event, the only possibility. And I'm going to just give you this. You can go back into the archives of 2015 if you want. But it seems to be connected, I think, with the angels that you see in Luke chapter 2. And stars and angels oftentimes are connected. And there, at least as I could prove this, I wouldn't say it dogmatically, uh, it might have been a shining angel that appeared at a distance as a bright shining star over the house where Jesus was. That's at least one po- I can't say that with, with any uh, assurance for sure, but that's something that I suspect. So that's what it was. It was a supernatural event. So let's talk about the wise men for just a moment. Let's just add this into the mix. Who were these people? 
Well, all we know about them from the text, it says, verse 1, Behold, wise men, came from the east, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. We know where they came from, at least directionally. And it says they are wise men. In Greek, it is majoi. So we get, sometimes you hear in English, the magi. We use that terminology. But it just means people who had a, a particular uh, level of insight into things that, are, were, that other people didn't have. They were the intellectually elite. They were the, the people who were knowledgeable. They were experts in their field. That's all we know. They were wise men. The fact that they come from the east is an indication of something important. So we think in Scripture, now what is, there, what is there toward the east, okay? Well, there's a couple things we think of, and I'm going to cover this briefly because I want to get to our real point tonight. But there is this connection to the, what we call the Balaam prophecy, this takes place back in Numbers. And you remember the story. Israel was passing through the, the desert and passing through other people's lands on their way to the promised land, okay? And there was a certain king by the name of Barak, and, and Balak, had, excuse me, Balak, and he, he wanted to have Israel, this people, cursed. So he goes and hires a prophet, and it appears from the text that he was a true believer in the true God, but he goes out and, and he hires him. I want you to come and I want you to pronounce a curse on these people. I guess he called 1-800-RENT-A-PROPHET and, and got him to come. And Balaam's going to get a big cash reward for this, right? But God oversees. Every time Balaam goes to curse the people, rather than cursing, God sees to it that blessing pours out of his mouth. Okay? And you can read all that story. By the way, Balaam was the one whose donkey turned around and talked to him. That's, that's, you know, that's how we normally know Balaam. But as part of his prophecy, when God overrides what he wanted to say and overrides what he was paid to say, when God says, this is what you'll say, you find this verse in chapter 24, verse 17, Numbers. I see him, but not now. <coughs> Excuse me. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob. A scepter shall rise out of Israel and batter the brow of Moab and destroy all the sons of tumult. So part of this prophecy is of a star and a scepter. A scepter is what a king would hold as a, as a regal symbol of his royal authority, okay? So this royal person is going to rise and it says a star shall come out of Jacob. If Balaam was this sort of mysterious prophet from the east, somehow this prophecy likely was not only preserved in the pages of Scripture, but was preserved of these wise people in the east, okay? At least that is highly probable. Not only is there the Balaam connection, but let me, let me give you one other verse before I go to the next one. Uh, Genesis chapter 49, verse 10, and I don't know that Balaam would have known anything about it, but since it is uh, part of the same prophecy, in chapter 49, verse 10, there is a, a statement made by Jacob, we also know him as Israel, is speaking a blessing over his 12 sons, and his, from his 12 sons come the 12 tribes of Israel. When he gets to Judah, he says this, The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet, until Shiloh comes, and to him shall be the obedience of the people. So this particular line, the line of Judah, it uses that same terminology, a scepter, a royal uh, symbol of authority is in play there. So that you have some prophecy, you have some data kind of floating out there. And then there's one more. 
Let's go back to how the wise men know about the star. We talked about the Balaam prophecy. Let's talk about the Daniel connection, okay? You understand about five, about 600 years or so before the time of Christ, the Babylonians, who were people of the east, come and invade Judah. They destroy the temple. They just they tear down the walls of Jerusalem. There's a great massacre of people. The country is smashed and destroyed. And that was prophesied because of their disobedience and their dabbling with all the false gods and idolatry and so forth. So the Babylonians take a remnant of the people and carry them off to Babylon, okay? And while they're in Babylon, there's one particular name that stands out of all the people who was living in Babylon. His name is Daniel, and there's a book in the Bible that bears his name. And you recall, king has a dream. It troubles the king. He calls all of the wise men of his kingdom, and he names all their different offices, and he has them come in, and he says, I want you to tell me what I dreamed and what it means. And they do a couple head fakes, in essence, several times and tell him, well, if you tell us what the dream is, we'll tell you what it means. He said, no, 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 no. You've got to tell me the dream and its meaning. Otherwise, I'm going to kill all of you. And well, they, they can't do anything with that. And as the, the execution is about to transpire, Daniel, who was probably a lesser light of this cast of wise men, that uh, he finally hears the, the, the words of the judgment coming. He asks permission to go before the king, and he says the God of heaven can reveal. He also gets his three Hebrew friends, whom we know them as their, by their Babylonian names, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And he says, you pray. Pray to the God of heaven. He goes in. God reveals the dream to Daniel, and God reveals the message of the dream to Daniel. He reveals it to the king. And he is elevated... Daniel was elevated to sort of the highest position or one of the higher positions of all the wise men of Babylon, these people of the east. And one of his prophecies, we looked at this a couple, three years ago when we went verse by verse through Daniel. But in Daniel 9.25, there is this statement that says, Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem. Now, by the time of Jesus, that date would have been fixed on a calendar. Okay? There, there was a, a date that that happened. Until Messiah the Prince, there shall be seven weeks and 62 weeks, 69 weeks total. And we understand that a week is a period of seven years. And without getting too deep into this, there's some thought that these wise men through Daniel knew that something significant, a Messiah was going to come. And they would have been able to calculate that the time is drawing fairly close. And you figure he's going to be king in adulthood, so you roll that back a few years. So they are already anticipating that something significant is going to happen in Israel, the king of the Jews. You put those two streams of prophecy together, I think these wise men, and God obviously directed them to understand this and under, to, to get this, that these wise men were looking. It was about the right time. A star would rise out of Jacob, a scepter, a king, and suddenly they see a star, unusual, different. The timing is right. They reach the correct conclusion that God has given them a sign that in Jerusalem, they think, but in Israel, for sure, uh, the king of the Jews has been born. So they gather up their camels and gather up their gifts, and off they go. By the way, I don't want to mess with your nativity scenes, but the Bible does not say that there was three of them, okay? It says they had three different gifts but there could have been five people that brought gold and seven people that brought myrrh. You know what I'm saying? So 
It might have been 20. It might have been 30. All we know it's more than one because it is plural. And interestingly enough, all that God requires for authentication is the mouth of two or three witnesses. I suggest to you that these witnesses were those that God was supernaturally bringing to verify some very important things about the birth of Christ. Let me just recap here quickly. Uh, God's purpose for his star, okay? What, what, what were some of the big purposes? Then I want to get to the authenticating purpose quickly. Uh, first of all, it announces Christ's birth to a select audience. Not everybody knew it. Not everybody got it. Herod didn't know anything about it. The, the, the priests and the scribes and so forth that, that, that he calls in, chief priests and scribes, verse 4, they, they didn't know anything about it. But God purposely selected not one, but two very interesting groups of people to be there around the time of Jesus' birth from two different, from two different worlds to verify that his son had been born. One is a group of people that they would have viewed. They're non-Jews. They're Gentiles. They're pagans. They're the bad guys. They're the people we don't want anything to do with. So God brings these outsider Gentiles to show up to visit Jesus as a young child. And then you have the shepherds, and I'm going to talk about them next week, so just pretend I didn't tell you what I'm about to tell you. Be surprised. But the shepherds are also outcasts in Israel. I'm not going to tell you why or anything. You have to come back next week. But God took two groups of people that would be the least likely to show up when the king of the Jews was born, and God brings them across Jesus' path to say, yes, it is true. Yes, it is verified. Yes, we saw. Yes, these things occurred. And to remind us that indeed these things are true. So it was a select audience. It guided men, this star, to to his dwelling in Bethlehem. So it had a guiding purpose. It brought them uh, to Israel and to Jerusalem. And uh, there they were. Let's just talk a little bit about uh, about their uh, misdirection. It says that they came in verse 1 to Jerusalem and saying, and they're just asking, hey, by the way, I could just kind of see them going, you know, everyone here comes this caravan, these camels, and they are dressed different, and they've got, you know, probably fairly, fairly well apportioned in their attire and so forth. And, you know, and they, hey, tell me, where, where's, the king? where's the king that's been born? News to me. And, they keep, and I suspect they would have thought, we're going to get there, and we ask anybody, everybody's going to know, because this has got to be the biggest news that's ever been in Jerusalem, and nobody knows. So as they're asking around verse 3, when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled in all Jerusalem with him. You really need to know a few things about what we know from history as a king by the name of Herod the Great. That's how he's known in the history books, Herod the Great. First of all, he was not a Jew. Uh, he, he sort of, because he was friends with the guys up in, uh, in power up there in Rome, he, he kind of got a, appointed. Well, you want to be king of the Jews? Well, you be the king of the Jews. You're not a Jew, but you'd be king of the Jews. He was vicious. He was paranoid. He killed members of his own family when he thought maybe they were disloyal to him. He was, he was, just, he was brutal. You know from the next story, verses 16 and following, where he sends his troops in to, to kill all the male children, uh, you know, to, to try to destroy this rival. So when he hears the story, When he hears the story, now when King Herod heard this, he was troubled, and notice the next phrase, and all Jerusalem with him. When King King Herod got stirred up, everybody was stirred up because he was a wicked, vicious, violent man. In fact, one of the fascinating stories about Herod, he he was 
in, in, in Jericho, uh, and that was his, where he died. And uh, you would go down into to Jericho. There was palm trees, and, and uh, kind of, it was kind of an oasis kind of area. And he had a, he had a, a house there. He also had Masada, was what, if you're familiar with Masada, uh, King Herod built that. He also had the Herodium, which was another fortress, just, just actually was within its shadow, sort of overshadowed Bethlehem. And then he had a fortress in Jerusalem. Basically, he, he knew someday he might get in trouble. And if he went east, if he went south, if he stayed put, wherever he went, there was going to be someplace he was going to be safe. So he built all these... In fact, one of the things he did was made the Temple of Jerusalem. He was enlarging it and making it more magnificent than it ever was of the second temple. But one of the stories was when he was dying, he knew he was about to die, and he knew that the people of Israel would not mourn his passing. People weren't going to shed too many tears over his passing. So he rounded up a number of the chief priests and rabbis throughout Israel and made them, brought them to Jericho. And he gave a command that as soon as he died, all of them were going to be executed so that there would be mourning at his passing in, in, in Israel. This is the kind of guy we're dealing with, okay? Uh, but after he died, as soon as he died, people said, you know what, he's no longer here. We're going to rescind that. We're not going to do that. So they, they actually weren't killed, but that's the kind of man he was. So he was troubled. So he did not want a rival. He wanted his dynasty, even though it was man-created, to continue on. So he's troubled. So he calls in the chief priests and the scribes in verse 4. And says, where is the Christ to be born? So they look it up in the text. Thus it is written by the prophet. And this is a quote from Micah, the prophet Micah, chapter 5, verse 2. It's in Bethlehem, in the land of Judah. That's where he's going to be born. Now, it's interesting that, that this is a missed opportunity. Why didn't any of the priests and scribes go down to Bethlehem and start poking around? Why didn't Herod go poking around? And I understand this was part of God's preservation but if they would have had hearts open to God, they should have gone looking themselves rather than waiting for someone else to go. There's probably a message there somewhere that we needed to, to, to go directly to our Lord. But he sends the wise men, he calls them secretly and gives them this story which you know is not true. You go and you find him and you bring me word about where I can find him because I also want to come and worship him too. And of course the wise men get warned about this and you know the rest of the story. But, so, we see, going forward, let me add one more. Their response, the wise men's response, it says in verse 10, when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. So, they guided men to his dwelling in Bethlehem. It also resulted in joy and glory, okay? So, quickly. Now, let's get to the proof part. And this is, it's really simple. But the, it also is this. The star is to set up the scenario in which there would be living proof witnesses of God's plan. These wise men were not there by accident. This is not just an interesting story. This is not just sort of a mystery. God appointed them so that they, from their, their perspective, throughout all this years of prophecy, connected all the way back probably to Balaam and probably for sure to Daniel, that they come to this place to say, we have seen, we saw, he came. It is as was predicted. So what does it prove? It actually proves a, a few things. And let me just go down this list, list carefully if we can or quickly. Number one, it proved who was the real king. Herod would have said he was the real king. There's no star in the sky for Herod. There's no star in the sky for Caesar. There's no star in the sky. And by the way, you can, as far as I know, from all I know of history, there's no one that ever claims that God put a supernatural star in the sky 
when they were born to indicate that something significant had happened. So for Herod, this should have been a rebuke. For the scribes and the priests, this should have been instructive. To all of Israel, this should have been something that pointed so that they would be ready to believe that the Messiah is about to burst on the scene. But instead, the people missed it. The religious leaders missed it. Herod missed it. Only this little group of strangers coming from the outside got it. But it proved that he indeed was the real king. It also proved Jesus' work was going to be for the Jews. Where is he that is born? King of the Jews. The Jews had this messianic expectation, this understanding that a Messiah was going to come. But probably more to us, most of us anyway, it proved Jesus' work for the Gentiles as well. Because God brought a group of Gentiles in to be part of this entourage of two groups of people coming to see Jesus. And by the way, this would have probably occurred uh, some months at least, and some would think a year or maybe two after Jesus was born. Primarily because it, it says in verse 11, when they came to the house, into the house, they saw the young child. That's a completely different Greek construction than an infant that's used in Luke chapter 2. So he's probably a toddler. And you figure, they see the star, they have to travel some months to get there, and so he's, he's not the baby. So I'm sorry, that's really going to mess up your nativity set if you've got the wise men looking into the manger, okay? Uh, we we kind of move them a little further away from the nativity set. Than, you know, we, so that's how we deal with that. So it's a little bit later. But this thing of the Gentiles, there's a verse that's found in Isaiah chapter 49. Isaiah chapter 49 is a prophecy of God's servant. It's messianic. It's all about the coming Messiah. But listen to this verse. Indeed, this is verse 6, Isaiah 49. Indeed, he says, It is too small a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved ones of Israel. In other words, that's not a big enough mission. Look at the end of this verse. I will also give you as a light to the Gentiles that you should be my salvation to the ends of the earth. And all of us who are Gentiles should say, Thank you, God, that this is not just a Jew thing. This is not just an Israel thing. This is a whosoever will may come thing. And that prophecy is is put together so that some of these Gentiles who are going to be the recipients of God's grace, they show up to authenticate, yes, he has been born. Yes, he's king of the Jews, but this is way beyond just Judaism. Number four, it also proved that Jesus was born in the right place. Remember we talked about this early in this study, how everything is confirmed that right place, right time, keeping the law and so forth. And Micah chapter 5 verse 2 is the verse that has that. Since we've already read it, we will we'll just pass over reading of that, but it's Micah 5 2. So it proved that Jesus was born in the right place. It also proved that Jesus was of the right line. Okay? So there is this reality that, that he came to be born in Judea, of Judah, the line of Judah, and to be born in the city of David because he was of the Davidic line and of the larger line, the line of Judah. So it proved he was of the right line. Right place, Bethlehem, right line, Judah, David. And it also proved this, number six. It proved that there was a spiritual war to be won. And you see that, that, that one battle of this, this great war of the ages that's been raging between God and his chief adversary ever since he rose up in rebellion against God and was cast out of heaven. And you see that. And, and there are casualties in this war. 
And uh, verse 13, it tells us, And when they had departed, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise, take this young child and his mother, flee to Egypt and stay there until I bring you word, for Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. So off they go for a period of time, staying in Egypt, until they had heard that, uh, that, that, that verse 19, when they heard that Herod was dead, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream in Egypt, and now it's time you can go back to the land. You ever wonder what those gold, frankincense, and myrrh is all about? There's been a lot of things you can read that, that those said specific things, and I think that's probably true, about him being the Savior. But one thing it did, it helped a poor Galilean carpenter and his young wife and her son survive camping out in Egypt for a period of time. It funded what we call the, the flight to Egypt, the, the, the running to Egypt. So God sent these Gentiles from afar to come and to bow down and worship him, present the gifts, but those gifts had a very practical application to save him in this spiritual war. Lastly, we would respond to this effort that God wants, is using to communicate the truth to us. We respond to all of, we should respond to all of his efforts for God to communicate to us. I just would say it this way. We, we respond in the right way by how we learn, by how we learn that we ever want to be learning his word, that we, we are students of his word, that we study his word, that we meditate on his word, that we, we, we engage our minds and our curiosity to try to know as much as we can know in the word. And you know what ultimately happens? Yeah, we, we will mature, we will grow, but God is glorified when we're interested in him and what he's all about. Number two, we, we respond this way, by how we live that we seek to avoid sin in our life, that we seek to do godly things in our life. And you know what that does? Yeah, it will help us grow and be a testimony to others. But ultimately, above it all, it brings glory to God. They came to bow down and present to him these gifts. They followed the star to, to verify these things, but they were anxious to bring glory to God. Number three, by how we love. By how we love people. By how we love people that are maybe unlovely in our sight. But we talked about this last, last week. We talked about we are the living witnesses. Jesus said, all people will know you're by, but you're my disciples if you have love one for another. And when we love each other, that helps people. When we love each other, that helps us. When we love each other, that strengthens the family of God. When we love each other, that is a testimony of the lost. But you know what that does above all things? And our real motivator should be this. It brings glory to God. He is pleased. So let's set our sights. God has authenticated these things to be true. But let's set our sights on learning and living and loving in a way that brings glory to him.